For our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Barnabas Grayson entitled simply, Trust. Mr. Grayson. Good afternoon, everyone. Brought my fire water in case there's a fire. Just in case. Uh, We see from the pages of our Bible that it strongly encourages for us to have trust. To have trust in God. You really can't put too much trust in the way society is going today. You really can't put too much trust in the way politicians are doing today or even their policies. But we are encouraged to have trust. And this kind of trust that is being encouraged is trust in God. In the book of 2 Kings in chapter 18 and verse 1 through 7, we read about Hezekiah. He's one of the, uh, one of the, best Judean kings who trusted God and in verse 1 it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea son of Elah king of Israel that Hezekiah the son of Ahaz king of Judah began to reign he inherited uh, uh, Hezekiah inherited a kingdom that was really pretty discontent with both the religious and, and the uh, political situation that his father had left. His father was involved in idolatry and he left a situation that King Hezekiah would eventually uh, square away. In verse 2, 20, he was 25 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. Gives his mother's name also, who was also Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. So he reigned till he was about 54 years old. Oh, and in verse 3, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. According to all that David, his father, did. So what did, you know, what did, what did uh, he do? What did Hezekiah do that was right in the sight of the Lord? He removed the high places. He removed those places that, were, that would, was causing Israel, that would cause even the individuals to resort to idolatry in their life, that he was removing those things, those high places, and he broke the images that people were beginning to worship. And that tells us a little bit about ourself also, that to do the right thing, to, uh, to do what is right in the sight of the Lord, that we too have to remove some things that are, that are uh, impeding our trust in God. And he cut down the groves, and he broke in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nahushta. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel. That's who he trusted in. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel. You know, God is only, there's only one God, and that's God, the God of Israel. So that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. Because he followed the eternal, because he trusted the eternal, there was no other king like him. For he clave to the Lord 
and departed not from following him, but he kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth, and he rebelled against the king of Israel, uh, king of Assyria, and served him not. So his trust and obedience was blessed, and he built a relationship with God by following him, by, clave, uh, by clinging to him or claving to the Lord. Yet, you know, there comes a time in all people's lives when things go against them, when things turn against them, that adversity befalls a person. In 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1, in those days, during, you know, dur during his reign, was Hezekiah, he was sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. You know, that, that would be shocking for anyone to hear or to have receive any kind of bad news of, of that sort. So Hezekiah, he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before you in, in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in your sight. And it says Hezekiah wept sore. You know, we all love our lives, and we love our, the lives of our, of our loved ones, our children, and so on. And Hezekiah wept sore because he received this bad news that he was going to die, and that he had to get some things in order. And it came to pass, after, before, Isaiah, before Isaiah was gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again, go back. And tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up unto the house of the Lord. So Hezekiah, who trusted in the Lord, he made supplication to God, and he was heard. And God had compassion on him. He saw his tears. He saw how uh, Hezekiah had wept sorely, beseeching God. In verse 6, and he tells Hezekiah, I will add unto your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servants David's sake. So God had a purpose in, in hearing and healing Hezekiah's sickness. He had a purpose in healing him. And we can see from these expressions here that God is saying, I will. I will add days to your life and I will deliver you. In verse 7, and Isaiah said, take, uh, take a lump of figs. And so they took and laid it on the boil and he uh, recovered. Sometimes it helps our faith to be able to see something, you know, being applied, you know, like if we have some sort of an injury or some sort of a affliction on our, on our flesh that it gives us uh, a sense of, you know, things are going to get better when uh, salve or when band, uh, iodine or whatever is put onto uh, some sort of wound. It helps our faith to see that, that the healing process ha is, is starting. But Hezekiah... He said unto Isaiah, 
What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up into the house of the Lord the third day? You notice here that he didn't ask, Hezekiah didn't ask for a sign. Instead, he asked Isaiah what the sign was going to be. So he was, not, he was not doubting that God was uh, not going to heal him, but he was trusting that God was going to heal him. Verse 9, and Isaiah said, This sign shall you have of the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go back 10 degrees? Hezekiah answered, It is a light thing for a, a shadow to go down 10 degrees. No, nay, but let the shadow return backward 10 degrees. And Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord, and he brought the sh uh, shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down in the, in the uh, dial of Ahaz. So in this dial of Ahaz, uh, you know, the, uh, probably the, uh, one of the early, early time pieces at that, at that time, on the steps of, uh, of a stairway. And in each one of these uh, increments counted off the hours uh, when it went down these steps. And, but the, uh, it would have been simple just for it to go down, but Isaiah, uh, but uh, Hezekiah wanted to see it go up. That would uh, really be a, an awesome sign. Now, <clears throat> this would have been a confirming sight that God was going to do what he said he would do, and that would be to heal uh, Hezekiah. And somehow, we can also trust that, I don't know how, Earth's rotation must have stopped, must have slowed down to a stop, and then reversed. But however it is, we trust that the word of God tells us that uh, these things happen. Now, what do we do when, we, when it seems as though an answer to our prayer is slow in coming? It becomes a matter of trust. It becomes a matter of just trusting. The answers will come, we know. But we're usually, you know, anxious for it. But the answer may not come as dramatically as, as it was uh, to Hezekiah. We're told elsewhere that the just shall live by faith. And, you know, that's to live in faith. And in the hope of things that are not seen. So we find that is tied to this trust that we have in God is to have trust in prayer. To know that God is listening, to know that God is hearing, to know that he is going to keep his word, to know that he is there on the other end listening to us in spite, you know, rather than giving up, uh, no matter how long the prayer might be in coming, the answer to the prayer might be, it's going to come. Yesterday I, I, I visited a, a kinfolk of, of mine down in Eufaula, she's uh, going to be 95 years old and I hadn't seen her for a long time and she uh, she lost four of her boys uh, are dead they and two of them died just within months just just this year of course they are they're older one was uh, 70 one was uh, 75 and the others had died earlier and I, I knew them well and She's on her way to, to being 95 years old, and she, as she was sitting there in her wheelchair, she said, 
she talked about her her legs. She can't she can't walk. She it, it, it just her legs are just bother her sometimes, and she lost. Uh, she was uh, in a way kind of funny about because she lost her bottom dentures and now she's going to have to get some more because she broke those dentures and she uh, she was wondering kind of aloud she said what am I still doing here you know she's in a wheelchair she's uh, she's got uh, bad knees and she can't hear very well I had to you know talk aloud to her and uh, so she said why am I here you know and she mentioned uh, her daughter that was there and she said all she has left now is her daughter of course they've got grandchildren she's got grandchildren but she wondered what am I still doing here she also related this little story about how she felt this uh, this hand touch touch her uh, like a little comforting hand imagine you know I said well maybe it's your guardian angel but she said she kind of felt this voice on the inside of her saying pray and sing and so she uh, she did that she prayed and, and she sang and now this this lady who's not going on 95 she was my Sunday school teacher a long time ago her husband was a preacher or a pastor at the church that I attended and even her father was a traveling minister going to the various Indian churches that were there in the area so I know she believes in God but she had all of these things, you know, happen to her. And you, you have to wonder, you know. But not everything in her family was perfect. Just like, you know, in some of our family. She had her ups and downs, as we all do. But a few years back when I last visited her, she told me that, to, uh, that what her husband told her. Now, he, he's been dead for a long time. What her husband told her was that to get through life, you must pray. And so when you pray, you know, it's a matter of trust. It's a matter of trusting, uh, trusting God that he will hear your prayer and that he will answer it. So in line with the, this topic today is this word trust. In Romans 8, 28, what does that say to all of us? What does that say to you and me? It says we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. So we see in this verse that there is a need first to love God and that there is also a need to understand his purpose. Sometimes we don't know what uh, God has in mind. We don't know what the purpose for all of these things that might be going against us is. We just have to be assured and trust that all things work together for good to them that love God. We all desire the th things in life. We, all, we want things to work out for our good in life. But here we see a promise that is in that direction. And so we should trust what this verse, this verse says. To have trust is to have, you know, a, a firm uh, uh, belief in the reliableness of what God's word says and what the scripture says to us. To uh, have a firm belief in truth and the ability or the strength of someone or something to do what is promised. So when the Apostle Paul spoke these words, he was speaking to the Romans, those who were called unto Christ. And 
he must have come to understand what it, uh, what it is to have trust in God because you can read about the life of Paul and know that he went through a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of experiences that, that went against him. But he experienced things that helped him to grow and have trust. And so he was able to point this out to them. So what all this means to us is that no matter what things beset us, the eternal God will not forsake us. Romans 8.28 here, uh, it, it does not say really that everything happens in our life is good. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say uh, everything in our life is good. It's just that things work together in the long run when things aren't working out for us, but they work to our good in the long run. So we know from other scriptures that no trial is joyous. We know that uh, also that the trying of our faith is more precious than gold. And so we have to trust that it will be so. And it says that if we lack wisdom, sometimes we don't know what it's all about, what, uh, what the purpose and plan is. It says if you lack wisdom to ask God and he, and he will help us understand. He'll, he'll give it, uh, wisdom liberally to us. So all things work to good to them that love God who are called according to his purpose. So you might ask, well, how do we love God? 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that beget loveth him also that is begotten of him. So everyone who loves the Father loves Jesus the same. By this we know, verse 2, that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by keeping his commandments, carrying out those commandments each and every day. In other scriptures, it does say that all flesh belongs to God. Every person is a child of God, whether they have God's spirit in them or not. We have to show love toward them. Verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. There are many people in this age who think those commandments are burdensome. They think they're antiquated or maybe even done away with that they no longer apply to uh, the life that we're living. Now we, we know that the first four commandments tell us how to love God. The next six tell us how to love one another. Jesus said, and we can put our uh, trust in this also, that Jesus knew what he was talking about because he experienced a lot of the things, the temptations that we all go through. He said, in this life, you shall have tribulation. You know, that is, you're going to have troubles, you're going to have trials, you're going to have adversities, they're going to be of various sizes and, and, and all sorts, some even serious. We know and are familiar with the uh, saying that, you know, bad things happen to good people, even to the righteous. But when those things happen, then we must trust it will work to good to them that love God and trust in him. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, uh, I didn't turn this in, but this know also, it says, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. And we know that we live in perilous times. We see it hear it on the news and even you know all of the things that have happened this past week and there are voices out there on the scene describing 
the events that, that have happened. And then back in the studio, you hear uh, the talking heads analyzing and talking about everything uh, going on. Why is it that these things happen? Why are there so many tragic events? In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 1, it says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. You know, people can be obstinate. They can be stubborn. They can refuse to change. They can be hard to deal with. Verse 2, that walk to go down into Egypt and have not asked at my mouth to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. So rather than seeking God and being rebellious and obstinate and trusting in his strength to deliver, they would rather trust in the shadow of Pharaoh. So, you know, we know Egypt is, is described as likened to a type of sin. We know that Pharaoh is, is likened to Satan who wants to enslave, who wants to not set people free. Verse 3, Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame, and the trust in the shadow of Egypt your confusion. For his princes, in verse 4 and 5, uh, let's, do I have that up there? Did I, okay, I think I got verse 7 there, Brian. Verse 7, skipping down to verse 7. For the Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose. Therefore have I cried concerning this. Their strength is to sit still. Now, go, write it before them in a table, note it in a book, that it may be for the time to come for ever and ever. That this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, they say, See not, and to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things. Speak unto us, speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits to us. And these are this re the rebellious people, the deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. If people were to do this nowadays uh, on television or on the streets where they're uh, interviewing people and say, you know, if we turn to God, all things like this would not happen. But no, they analyze it in some other way. So uh, they say to the seers, see no more visions. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. Paint us a rosy picture. Don't tell us how bad we are. Make us feel good. So in verse 11, get you out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. Stop confronting us, they're saying, with what God says or what the prophet says or what the Bible says about the perilous times that we live in. So Verse 12, Wherefore thus saith the Holy One of Israel, Because you despise this word, and trust in oppression and perverseness, and stay thereon, therefore this iniquity shall be to you as a breach ready to fall, swelling out in a high wall, whose breaking cometh suddenly at an instant. 
From time to time, over in uh, Broken Arrow, there's, there's a, a retaining wall, and there's a water tower uh, close to it. And uh, notice that the, uh, I think it's a couple of years ago, uh, noticed that the, the wall was you know, starting to bulge. And the next time it passed by it, the structure had collapsed. And there were other places, I think, uh, somewhere along Hillside, the retaining walls that's supposed to hold back all of this weight uh, were starting to give, give under, under the pressure. So society is facing a lot of pressure of that sort. And this is telling us that it's like a breach that is ready to fall. So, you know, sometimes when you look at these things, you think, well, I don't want to know about that. I don't want to hear about that. But we have to be ready because we have to have, uh, start having that trust. If we don't have enough trust now, when those things come, you know, we're going to have some doubt and confusion set in. But you can get this picture of a structure like this retaining wall. And you see the bulge. You see it's going to break. And it's just like looking at our world today ready to burst. But when? We don't know. Verse 14. And he shall break it as the breaking of the potter's vessel that is broken in pieces. He shall not spare. So that there shall not be found in the bursting of it a sherd to take fire from the hearth. Or to take water without, withal out of the pit. It's going to break in such small pieces. There just won't be enough pieces to even carry you know, a, a coal. A, a piece of coal from the hearth. And, or to even... Uh, whole water it's just going to be breaking into smithereens as, as we might say for thus saith the Lord God the Holy One of Israel in returning in rest shall you be saved in quietness and in confidence shall you, uh, be your strength and, but you would not so this is what the sovereign Lord the Holy One of Israel says in repentance and in rest is your salvation in quietness and trust is your strength but He's saying, but you would have none of it. <clears throat> so there is a spiritual and a uh, physical salvation and relief that we see promised by God, but they would not have it. The way to peace, they reject, seeking to pursue their own means. They rely on the flesh rather than the spirit. Verse 16, you said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You're going to flee, Yes. You said we will ride off on swift, swift horses. Therefore your pursuers will be swift. So they're not going to get away. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five. You will all flee away. Till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop. Like a banner on a hill. So you think you have a way to get away. You think there's a way out other than trusting in God. Keeping his commandments and doing his will. But... They're only fooling themselves, we see here. Now, these things happened in Isaiah's time, and we know that history has a way of repeating itself. Verse 18, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are all who wait, on, who wait for him. So those who are waiting for him are those who are called according to his purpose. And those who put their trust in him, no matter what the adversity might be or whatever thing they're facing, is according to his purpose. Verse 19. O people of Zion, who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. 
So you have to trust in prayer. How is it that we cry for help anyway? How is it that we can understand God's purpose that he has for us, even in our afflictions or our weaknesses? And how is it that we can trust that all things work to good to them that love God? It's called prayer. Communication with the Father and Christ, the Son. And it seems nowadays that a lot of people do a lot of communicating, don't they? They do it through cell phones or, or, the, or their laptop. Billions of people use cell phones. Many uh, texts or they use email. And we know these devices are important for communicating and for maintaining relationships. So, you know, they come in handy. And in many cases, however, a lot of people spend more time on this than they might take even maybe five or ten minutes in prayer. They just, they just uh, sometimes wasting time. And you've seen people on, on uh, videos where... Uh, person might be looking at their cell phone and they're in the mall and before you know it they're walking off into the, uh, the, the little pool. It's happened. I've, I've seen it. it, it. Now <clears throat> prayer communication with God there's no monthly payment. There's no uh, what they call roaming charges or, or Wi-Fi. I don't understand it all. If my phone works and I get somebody on the other end, that's fine with me. But prayer is like that. God, we know, is on the other end. In the Old Testament, prayer is defined as an intercession and supplication. It's, it's from a word that means to entreat. Intercession is like saying a prayer on behalf of another person. We do intercess, intercessory prayers sometimes, even as, as a congreg congregation where our thoughts are along the same line of that prayer. There is supplication in prayer. That's to ask or beg for something earnestly or humbly. Have you ever gone to God in prayer and begged? I have. I've gone to him and begged for something earnestly and humbly. And sometimes it is to entreat, to ask earnestly or anxiously for, for someone. Someone who may have requested prayer. I need your prayer. I was talking to a, a, a man the other day and I told him, you know, I, I said, I, I need your prayers. And he said, I will pray for you then. I didn't tell him all the details, but just enough to let him know that I was earnestly seeking his intercessory prayer. And he said he would. And so we entreat for one another. We pray because we believe in prayer and we trust in prayer that God will hear us. In the New Testament, we see that the word prayer also means to supplicate. It's the same as supplication that, that is in the Old Testament to you know, ask or beg for something. Same one, same is used. And it's also prayer is used as a worship to express reverence and adoration and devotion to God. And sometimes it seems like whenever I, whenever I pray, I'm always bringing up something that I'm worried about or anxious over or I want something, you know, it's always a serious prayer sometimes. But sometimes a prayer, and you learn this as you go along, that 
prayer also includes thanking God and just adoring the things that he has done, that he gives you, the air you breathe, the scent of flowers and the honeysuckles that you smell, and all of those things that, that express an, a reverence and adoration for his creation. And it doesn't always have to be, you know, some serious thing. I suppose, you know, uh, if someone kept coming to me with seriousness, kept coming to me begging or asking and the same old thing night after night like I'm prone to do sometimes, you know, if I get tired of it, I wonder if God gets tired of it. But I don't think he does because he loves his children and he, he lends an ear. It says his hand is not shortened that he cannot save nor his ear heavy that he can, cannot hear. So, in a prayer, we can express reverence and adoration and have an expression uh, uh, for help or, or, uh, or thanks. So, we know the importance of prayer. It is something that we should put our trust in and not give up on. Not just when things go against us, but at all times and, and to be thankful. And if not for ourselves, but, you know, for others. Do we do that? Is prayer a daily habit with us? There are different parts of a prayer, as I mentioned earlier, as a, as a prayer of worship or, or adoration. You know, we see in the book uh, of Daniel when Nebuchadnezzar uh, blessed the Most High when God re re restored the king's sanity. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, at the end of, uh, of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, Lifted up my eyes unto heaven, and my understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what are you doing? At the same time, my reason returned unto me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my lords sought unto me. And I was established in my kingdom. And excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All whose works are truth. And his ways, judgment. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. So, everything for Nebuchadnezzar, it worked for good. It worked to his good. In James chapter 5, verse 15, or 14, we see an example of intercession. James said, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So we see, you know, uh, whenever we do an anointing, the elders, you know, there's a group of elders, you know, more than one. So we see a plur plur plural calling here for the elders of the church. And verse 15, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up, and if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, we see an example of supplication. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for all people. 
for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Father. In Philippians 4, verse 6, we see an example of thanksgiving. Sometimes, you know, before we, uh, before we eat, we're always thankful that, you know, uh, grateful for the food that we're, we're going to have. In verse 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So we see how important prayer is and should be in every life, in our life. Are there personal requirements of prayer? Matthew 21, 22, it says, All things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believe ye shall receive. So that's a requirement, to believe you're going to receive them. James 1, 6 through 7, But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. So we know that God can hear prayers. We trust that he can. And so... Prayers are important. And sometimes it's a mystery to me how, how prayers, uh, how they're brought before God. And we don't dwell on those details like that. It, you know, it's just in the same way we don't dwell on how the cell phone is working. It just does. It works. But there are times when we do wonder whether God is listening or when is he going to answer Maybe he's busy, sometimes people think. Maybe he's uh, taking another call or we're put on hold. But we're not to give up on prayer. First Thessalonians 5, it says to pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So quench not the spirit. You know, don't douse it because maybe we're not getting an answer as we expect. There are many things that can impede our prayer life one of the things in Matthew 6 12 it tells us it tells us about we need to have a forgiving spirit when we ask him to forgive our debts we have to forgive our, uh, able to forgive our debtors the same uh, we, same expectation we expect of God to forgive us he expects us to forgive also others Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And, every, you know, we need this every day. We need to uh, ask that we be delivered from these perilous times that we, that we live in. In James chapter 4. From whence come wars and fighting among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? You at, verse 3, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. So being selfish or having self-pride can impede our prayer. Mark 11, Jesus said, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Takes a lot of trust. And you know we're not going to get. Uh, uh, everything. 
God knows what we need, and he will supply our need as we need it and what we need. But, you know, if, if we ask for a Rolls Royce, I don't really think that he will give it to you, but you never know. I once prayed for a bicycle. Didn't expect to get it. Got a bicycle. I even got another one after that. So... I ruined the bicycles by, I had a paper route and I put the bags on the back fender and it eventually wore out the fender, so I had to have a second, second uh, bike. So, you never know. God can heal, he can do miraculous things. We just have to wait on the Lord and according to his purpose. John chapter five, now, you know, these are words of uh, promise that Jesus gives to us. In John chapter 5, verse 13, this is the beloved disciple of Jesus. He, he wrote this. He said, these things have I written unto you that you believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the, on the name or that is the power of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So we draw near to God through constant prayer and keeping his commandments. We're called to his spiritual purpose, not our fleshly desires, not our ways, the things we may suffer, the temptations, the sorrows, the pains we face. These things Jesus also endured. So he knows and he understands and he says, you know, Come on, I will see you through. So though we have trials and though we have uh, these troubles that we see in this world, you know, you know, the shootings, the hypocrisy, the lies, the corruption, the vindictiveness, the hatred, and all the perils of this age, Almighty God is calling out a peculiar people to overcome this world by putting their trust in him and those who believe in the power of prayer. I'll close with Psalm chapter 37. Verse 1, it says, To fret not yourself because of evildoers, neither be you envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. So shall you dwell in the land and verily you shall be fed. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. You know, you know, there are ways to delight in the Lord. You know, we uh, call the Sabbath a delight, it says. And in Psalm 40, delight to do his will. And Romans 7:22, delight in the law of the inward man. You know, the words of God are in our hearts, in, in, our, in our minds. We need to delight in that. Verse 5. Commit your way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, and forsake wrath, Fret not yourself in any wise to do evil. 
for evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. So, to love God, the Father, is to love his Son, who is the God of our salvation, and to put our trust in them in prayer and in keeping uh, of the commandments. So, I close with this. Again, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. I forgot my firework. I didn't drink any.